0: All right, welcome back to the listener's commentary on Paul's letter to Titus. In this recording, we're going to be looking at Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And just to keep the context in mind, in chapter 1, verses 5 through 9, Paul instructed Titus to appoint elders in every church that's on the island of Crete that they've planted, and he gave instructions for the kind of men to appoint to that role as elders. And then in chapter 1, 10 through 16, he called Titus to reprove some false teachers, primarily it seems Jewish believers, the circumcision party is the idea, and any who would follow them. They're leading whole households, which seems to be a reference to house churches astray. Paul describes those troublemakers quite clearly and really confronts them, rebukes them very directly. Well, what he does here now in chapter 2 is he returns to Titus and to his role in teaching the truth in the churches and helping getting those churches organized and functioning properly. And so what we get here is some instructions to Titus on things Paul wants him to do as he sets the churches in order. So verse 1 says, But as for you, that is, as for you, Titus, proclaim the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. The word proclaim actually is just the usual word for speak. So there's some things that Titus is supposed to talk about. And those things that he's supposed to talk about are the things that make for sound doctrine. And sound doctrine means healthy teaching. So in what follows, Paul gives some key things he wants Titus to pass on that are sound doctrine. And what's interesting, I think, and important here is that much of what Uh, Paul says to Titus, has to do with character and behavior far more than, say, theology and what we often think of when we hear the word doctrine. And I think this is very important for us to take note of because it instructs us that sound doctrine doesn't merely entail correct theology, but it also entails correct living because that's Paul's focus here. And Paul structures his instructions to Titus around groups of people, older men, older women, young women young men, and he has some things he wants uh, Titus to make sure are being formed in the churches for each of those groups of people. And then after those four kind of general groups of people, Paul gives uh, some instructions for one specific group of people, slaves, they get a kind of special instructions here. Here's what Paul says, beginning in verse two, he says, older men are to be temperate, dignified, self-control, sound in the faith, in love, in perseverance. These are the kinds of things that Paul thinks uh, should characterize the older men in the churches. And interestingly, there's considerable overlap with the traits for the elders who were older men. So that shouldn't surprise us exactly. As I noted at the end of our last recording, that really those qualities for elders set a model for godliness for the whole church because the elders are supposed to be a concrete pattern of what that looks like. So it shouldn't surprise us that there is considerable overlap between what's said here to the older men and what is said there to the elders. And so notice what they're to be, they're to be temperate, which is a word related to the word for sobriety. Paul's actually going to deal with that literally shortly. Here the idea is all things in moderation, a sober approach to life and everything entailed in life. So temperate, dignified. Dignified has the sense of honorable, worthy of respect. There's sort of a a gravity about them. These people are weighty people in the way they conduct themselves, uh, deportment, the way of life, and thus they're dignified, self-controlled. This word means sensible, reasonable. These people are level-headed. They're not hot-headed. They're not irrational, right? They're not unthinking and out of control. They're sensible. And then he says sound in. Recall the basic meaning of sound is healthy and whole. So sound, healthy, whole, in faith, in love, In perseverance. And so, again, models of faithfulness, model of Christian love, love for God and love for neighbor, model of perseverance. They're sound in these things and they know how to endure faithfully in their obedience to Jesus. So, that's Paul's instructions to older men. And then the next one that he wants uh, Titus to pass on is to older women. And he says, Older women. Likewise, similarly, are to be reverent in their behavior. This phrase, reverent in their behavior, is actually composed of two words in Greek that are only used here in the New Testament. And the word for behavior here is a broad word that refers to all aspects of like bearing and appearance and demeanor and action. So their whole kind of way they carry themselves and carry their life. That's what we're talking about by behavior. It's supposed to be, he says, reverent. And again, this is only used here in the New Testament, not even used much in the Septuagint. And it's the idea, however, of like a deep God-honoring way of being. That's the idea of reverent, that this word is the kind of behavior that really is, in fact, part of this word for reverent comes from the word for temple. It's the, word, it's the idea that your whole approach is like respectful of God an honoring of God and so Uh, their whole way of being and their whole manner of life is to be deeply God-honoring. So reverent in their behavior. That's what older women are supposed to be. They're also not supposed to be malicious gossips, slanderers and gossips who run people down and who, you know, are busybodies and all of that. Uh, They're not enslaved to much wine. We saw a similar uh, description of the elders in chapter one, right? Not about much wine, not somebody who's constantly drinking and Um, always maybe a little tipsy, not that, Um, and then teaching what is good, another positive trait, that they are to be able, because of their maturity, because of their reverent way of life, their God-odd way of life, they're able to actually pass on um, what is good and right and the way God wants people to live. This then leads immediately into the younger women for whom the older women are to be guides. And so notice what he says in verse 4. So that they're supposed to be able to teach what is good, so that um, these older women may encourage the young women. And the word translated may encourage uh, in Greek actually has the sense of giving wise advice, not just encourage. It's more in the sense of show the way. It's the idea of there are some wise and sensible things you should do as a a woman. Let me show you how to do them. That's the idea of this, the word that's translated encourage here so that they may advise and and teach and train the younger women. And then he lists off some things. To love their husbands. So younger women need to learn how to love their husbands. Uh, They need to learn how to love their children well. And so what does it look like to be a loving wife? What does it look like to be a loving mom? What's the appropriate way to do that? How do you do that well? The older women uh, should be able to teach what is good in those regards. Uh, to the younger women. And then to be sensible, again, re- this is our word reasonable, level headed, right? able to use good judgment and make good decisions um, to uh, encourage and train the young women to be pure. This is actually a word that's uh, related to the word for holy. So it's this idea of being pure and holy before God. To be workers at home. Now, we need to be really clear on what this means and what this doesn't mean. It really captures up the ideal, say, of Proverbs 31 that is, that they, they are able to contribute to the work and the economy of the home. And we need to make sure we remember their cultural context is quite different than a post-industrial revolution, cultural context. Post-industrial revolution, the husband goes off to work while the wife and mom stays at home and she does housework all day. Um, and she takes care of the kids. But that's not the way it worked. And. Um, pre-industrial revolution. The world was quite different back then. And so the man would have a trade that centered on the home and in the home. And together with his wife, and as his kids got older, even with his kids, well, together, they all made sure the work to provide for everything that needed to be done in the household got done. And so we need to hear that this phrase, workers at home in that context. They need to be contributors to the work and the economy of the household, Um, whatever that was, helping with the trade, making sure that that, that, that the household was functioning properly, if there were any servants to organize them. These are things that all happened in the first century world. Uh, particularly in Greek and Roman cities where uh, the matron of the house, she she organized a lot of the servants and she oversaw a lot of the daily activities in the home. And so she needs to be good at that. Um, the administrative skills of managing the household and making sure the work gets done and helping out the, with with the, the family business, the family trade and all of that. So workers at home. Uh, to teach them how to be kind, literally good, that is benevolent, gracious, doing good deeds for others and helping other people out, being subject to her own husband, uh, arranging herself under her husband and his leadership, not being rebellious, not being a busybody, right? Not stirring up trouble around town, but subject to her own husband so that the word of God will not be dishonored. So these are some practices and traits of good, godly women that the younger women need to learn and the older women need to help them learn. Then Paul has some instructions for the young men. In fact, he only has one, which I find very humorous. One instruction for young men, and it's this. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. It's like, we're just going to boil it down to bare minimum for the young men. Just, just urge them to be reasonable, to be level-headed, to use good judgment, to to don't do anything stupid. (laughs) I've always found that funny that that's the one bit, but uh, it makes sense that as the young men are learning that this is really the key thing. If you can use good judgment and be reasonable and be level-headed, not hot-headed, It's going to really help you uh, get along in life well. So urge the young men to be sensible. Then Paul actually offers some specific encouragement to Titus for how Titus himself conducts his own life and his own ministry in relationship to the churches and in view of passing on these sorts of things. And so verse 7 says, in all things, Titus, show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity in doctrine. like Notice that purity in teaching. Dignified. Titus is to be a model of this dignified approach to life. Sound in speech. Uh, that is healthy, sound, helpful, beneficial in the way you talk, uh, which is beyond reproach. So sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame. Whatever that is. Whoever opposes the, the church, whoever opposes the truth, that they will ultimately be put to shame because Titus's manner of life is so respectable. Uh, Titus is showing that uh, discipleship to Jesus is so respectable. And so show yourself to be an example for all the churches of good deeds and purity and doctrine and all of this sort of thing. And then, Paul ends this section as he's calling Titus to talk about these things and pass on these things and form the churches in these things. He calls uh, Titus also to to address one specific group of people, and he gives some guidance for that specific group. These are the slaves. Look at verse 9. He says, urge slaves to be subject to their masters in everything. Now, we need to remember that slavery in the ancient world was everywhere present uh, that the world could not be imagined without it, um, and it 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 was uh, an equal opportunity venture. In fact, estimates put it at about twenty to twenty-five percent of the Roman world at any given time were slaves, and there was a spectrum of slavery experience. And so a person could be born into slavery. A person could become slave as a prisoner of war. A person becomes slave as a way of working off their debt. And so in that sense, they're more like an indentured servant. There was a whole spectrum. Uh, You could be a household servant uh, to be a slave of the state. So there's this whole spectrum of experience with slavery. And depending on Whatever kind of servanthood or slavery you found yourself in, and obviously depending on the kind of person who you were a slave to, that could radically alter your experience. And the New Testament never calls for the abolition of slavery, and that has caused some people great concern. But I think their approach is somewhat reasonable and down-to-earth, that it could not be conceived of, uh, life could not be conceived of without it. And not only that, a new religious movement, such as Christianity was, that had virtually no legal leg to stand on, that was calling for the abolition of slavery, uh, would have been seen as so subversive and so anti-Rome and anti-life that it would have really just destroyed the ability of the church to even move forward. So the church uh, actually chose what seems to me to be a wiser approach, and that is transform the institution from the inside out. Now here, in this context in Titus, Paul only addresses uh, the slaves. But in other letters, Paul addresses slaves and masters. And that's shocking and revolutionary because that never happened. Masters were free to do whatever they wanted. There were no expectations for them and how they behaved and treated their slaves. But not according to Paul and the apostles. And so, even though here he only addresses slaves, just remember that elsewhere he also addresses masters, and that's countercultural, revolutionary, and it's an attempt to really transform the institution from the inside out, which in some regards is more powerful. And wiser than just uh, getting rid of it altogether. And so here's what he says to slaves. He says, be subject to their own masters, urge them to do that. Don't revolt, don't rebel, arrange themselves under the leadership of their masters. And then he gives a few specific qualifications for that to be pleasing and not argumentative. That is to be cooperative, uh, to uh, be hardworking, to do what the master asks instead of arguing and being temperamental and just negative and all that. And then he says, not stealing, right? This has been a problem for humanity and in servanthood and all this for a long time. Don't steal. You see something that you like and you think, ah, he'll never know that's gone and you pocket it, right? Don't steal, but showing all good faith, being trustworthy and loyal. Why does Paul want uh, slaves? Why does he give these instructions for them to be pleasing, not argumentative, to show all good loyalty and trustworthiness? Why? So that they will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. He's urging slaves to act a certain way so that it gives credibility to the gospel, hopefully to draw their masters uh, to them, and not only that, other people in town, to really enhance the reputation of the teaching uh, about God and about Jesus in every way. And that really highlights one very important observation out of this whole set of instructions here In uh, Titus chapter 2, and that observation is this. We should pay attention to the repeated refrain that emphasizes one of Paul's chief concerns. And so, verse 5, Paul says, So that the word of God will not be dishonored. Verse 7, So that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. And then here in verse 10, So that they will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every way. Paul is urging good order, good deportment, good behavior, uh, not only to please God, that's part of it, but also to bring credibility to the church and the gospel. It's brand new on the island of Crete, and we want. We want to demonstrate that our manner of life and our way of life is good for people. It's good for our city. It's good for the community. And so to the best of our ability, let's act in such a way that adorns the doctrine of God, our Savior, in every respect. That's one of Paul's chief concerns. And it really should be one of our chief concerns as well. Does the way we act and talk and interact the way we carry about our business and go about our life, does it, does it bring credibility to the gospel? Does it adorn, bring beauty to the teaching about God and Jesus and all of that? That should be a deep concern of ours. And so as Paul passes on these instructions to Titus, and Titus is going to pass them on to the church uh, or the churches there in Crete, uh, this is one of his chief concerns. Now, before we leave this, one last little reflection, and that's what we see between the older women and the younger women in uh, Paul's instructions to Titus here, and that is that the older women are to be able to teach and advise and show and model for the younger women some really important uh, qualities and behaviors and character traits. And uh, that's really instructive to us because... Uh, Even though he doesn't specify it between the older men and the younger men, we can assume that the older men are also to be examples of godliness, and we know that the elders are to be able to teach. And Here's what we see, is that uh, the way of passing on the faith, the way of making disciples, the way of helping people learn how to obey everything that Jesus has commanded us, is highly relational. And we all need concrete patterns of discipleship. And that's what the older women are to provide for the younger women, a concrete pattern of discipleship. So let me advise you, let me show you how it is to be a good and wise and godly woman. And that's true across the board. So older women to younger women, older men to younger men, right? Uh, People more mature in the faith to people younger in the faith. We need these kinds of patterns of passing on the faith and passing on the way of Jesus to people who are newer in the faith and younger in the faith and who need a concrete pattern of what it looks like to follow Jesus. And Paul's encouragement to Titus here, I think, reminds us of just how important that is. All right, thanks for tuning in to this session of the Listener's Commentary on Titus. The Listener's Commentary is a listener-supported, crowdfunded Bible-teaching ministry that is made possible and is able to be given away for free because of the generous financial support of all sorts of people. So from the bottom of my heart, let me say thank you for that. Uh, It is bearing fruit all around the world from the emails I get and the encouragement I get. Um... Your generosity is making a difference in thousands of people's lives all around the world. So thanks a ton for that. And if you have been blessed or impacted in any way by the listener's commentary, would you prayerfully consider joining the team of supporters? Uh, that would allow this ministry to continue to grow and expand. There are certain things we just can't do or we're not doing very well because we just don't have the support to do it. And so would you prayerfully consider joining the team of supporters so that the, the reach and impact of this ministry could continue to bear good fruit all around the world. Thanks a ton in advance for your support.